Welcome to the Hamumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown, the podcast where we watch scary movies so you don't have to. From award-winning to completely unknown, we take them all way too seriously. I'm your host, Mike Hommel. And I'm your host, Solange Hommel. Now warning, we use a ghoulish number of spoilers, so watch the movies first. Second warning, we don't know anything about anything, so don't take us seriously as we take these movies seriously. Our listeners will be happy to know that this week's episode is an elite private experience, and it will only cost them $1,250 a head to participate in this never-before-experienced podcast. Please stop listening if you haven't paid the (laughs) $1,250, because this is only for our elite... Elite listeners. Um, Has everyone else left? Okay. Now that it's just us, important people. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. This week's episode is about The Menu, which is a 2022 movie. I want to start by saying... If you have not seen this movie, you absolutely should not listen to this podcast. Stop listening right now, or rather, as soon as I finish this, what I have to say, go watch the movie. This is a must-watch movie. Then come back and listen to what we have to say. I want to build on this statement by saying, I know a lot of our listeners, weirdly, are people who totally hate horror movies and don't want to see them. Oh, yeah. I want you to know that you can watch this movie. There is nothing scary in this movie. It's just, I mean, it's it's the equivalent of it, you know, a a mystery movie or whatever. You know, people die. I mean, you say that there's. It's kind of gory and violent in spots. Yes, but no more so than whatever murder show that these these same people who say they won't watch horror movies who watch nothing but real murders true crime <laughs> yes <laughs> okay fair enough yeah it's not like there are no like jump scares and stuff per se nothing super weird or perverse super- or whatever it's just movie long story short this is one where you want to watch the movie first go do that we'll wait Now that we've all seen this movie, what are we going to say about the menu? Because honestly, I was so mind blown and just dumbstruck by everything that happened in that movie that I'm not even sure I can be coherent about it. It was a unique experience. I felt like we watched The Glass Onion about a week before this. Yes. And it felt similar. Like, they're not very similar movies, but... It kind of had the same feeling for me of like, I'm really glad I watched that. Like, that was an experience for me that is good in some way that I don't really understand. Yes. I think it helps that they are both very much driven by the premise of... Rich people are terrible and must be punished. The thing about this movie is it it's not just made of grapes from a single vineyard, but from a single row of vines. Wow, that was 
very in keeping with this movie. Can you elaborate on that? No, it was just a line from the movie <laughs> that was funny to me. He was trying to hype up the wine, and he's like, yeah, it's from a single row of vines. Like, who cares? Yeah. Shut up, you pretentious food person. <laughs> well, and that is the response I had to almost every line by almost every uh-huh. character was shut up you pretentious beanbag of a person a lot of beanbags in this movie. yes it was infuriating infuriating oh oh there was also a wine that had a bit of barnyard funk to it it did yeah yes which reminded me of a wine tasting i went to recently <laughs> we are going to spoil this movie so we might as well just jump right in the menu is the story of a chef who has become who has risen to fame and has become disillusioned with that fame and all the pretentious nonsense that goes along with it and sort of he's real pretentious yes but the people who are most opposed to other people's pretension <laughs> tend to be pretty pretentious themselves yeah uh, exhibit a being this podcast we're not pretentious <laughs> we don't know nothing about nothing okay no he's grown disillusioned with his position and how he got there and the people who helped him get there and he invites them all to come to a special dining experience on his private island where he fully intends to murder them all by the in as the denouement of his meal and i i think it's Interesting also that he's not just going to murder them all. He's going to kill himself and all of his staff his at the same time. His entire staff. And the staff is all on board with this. Like, That's the weird part. They have collectively decided we're disrupting this system with our lives. Yeah, I don't understand how that works out. My take on it is that that is very metaphorical. Like the chef and the staff are the working class people, right? Or they like made it clear. like that that that's who they are and that this movie is about the impending revolution, right? Like that that at some point the working class is going to decide that keeping themselves alive for one more arduous day is not worth just using their life to destroy the system and and hopefully make things better for the next people. That was my take on it. Yeah. Uh, They did, at one point, the chef asked one of his sous chefs, you know, he's like, do you want to be me? And he's like, yeah, you know, you're great and all. And then he's like, do you want my life? And he's like, no, this is not where we want to be. Which is interesting because, like, they talked about how hard it is to become a world-renowned chef and how like difficult that world is to move in. And I have heard that. And like when you watch any shows like Nightmare Kitchen and you know, like the the kinds of shows that like Chef Ramsay and um Anthony Bourdain and like all of those guys, you watch their lives and their lives are not easy. Well, we know that. All chefs smoke like chimneys because they have so much stress and pressure. So stressful. And so like, they have to be so driven. And one of the things they talk about in this movie a lot is that your entire life is devoted to trying to make people happy. And they are the people who are least willing to allow someone to make them happy. Like when you think about it, like that very high elite, like fancy foodie kind of 
persona is accompanied with being unhappy is what gives them purpose in life, right? Yeah. Complaining about how it's not good enough. A broken emulsion. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then his response to be like, oh, you didn't like that little drop of broken emulsion? <laughs> I'm going to repeatedly give you soup bowls full of the same broken emulsion because I don't care what you think anymore. It was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. Throughout this movie, our hero, Margot, was not really participating in the food. She ate a little bit, but not much. And like halfway through the movie, I'm like, there's something in this food because her table mate, Tyler, was like so on board with everything mm -hmm. the chef was doing to Obsessive. the point that it made no sense. And she was so not that it seemed like he was being drugged. Yeah. But no. No, he no. was just nuts. Yeah. But um, also, there were reasons he was acting the way he was. Like, spoilers, he was the only one there who knew what was going to happen. And he, he was on board with it. Yes. He had arrived prepared to give his life to have this experience. Which, again, like, is that speaking to these people, the strata of people in our culture, in America, and possibly in the whole world? definitely in the whole world, who have become so bored with life that they will like throw themselves down the side of a mountain, jump off <laughs> a cliff, like jump out of a perfectly good airplane just f to feel something like that. He was that character. Yeah. So it was him. And then there was a food critic. There was a kind of a washed up actor. Mm -hmm. There was a couple, like an older couple, wealthy couple. Which was interesting. They they had been to this restaurant many times, and it was nothing to them. They're just like, yes. yeah, whatever. It's just another meal. Yes. And that was very offensive to the chef. It was. Like, the fact that they couldn't remember any of the things that they had eaten, he was so hurt by that. There were three guys who were, like, the kind of cryptocurrency kind of guys, right? Yes. Like, that had been committing bank fraud and were somehow connected to the peripherally. Yeah. To the guy, they worked for the guy who owns the Island. Yeah. Oh, well, and then the table with his mom who never said anything through the <laughs> entire movie, but just sat there in a drunken stupor. And he kept referring to her as like, this is the reason why I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> understandable <laughs> which reminds me of you know like smile where it's pulling in a little bit of that generational trauma piece. <laughs> yes yeah um so it was so like there were so many interesting different kinds of people who kind of suck in the world well i would say that in the kitchen we had those who give and out in the seating area were those who take Ooh. I like that. That's was what he said. <laughs> oh. That wasn't me. Right. Never mind. Whatever. Oh, okay, you don't like it. No, and then and then we have Margot, like you said, our hero, who is only at this dinner because Tyler had a date to come to this meal. She broke up with him and refused to come, and he had to get someone else because the chef didn't allow seatings for one. He needed a date in order to be allowed to come to this meal where mm -hmm. he was going to be killed. And so he hires an escort to come with him, knowing that she's going to die. 
Yeah. And that's definitely his sin, or that's emblematic of his sin. It's there's more to it, but yes. that's that's how terrible he is. And it's the thing that throws the wrench in the whole meal for the chef because he was on board and fully prepared. Like he had no no hesitation about taking this particular hand-picked group of people with him when he left. Like it was all part of his statement. Yeah. And then Margot shows up and he's like, A, I don't know who you are. <laughs> and then as he gets to know her, realizes she's one of the staff people, not one of the, you know, she's a giver, mm-hmm. not a taker. Yeah. And so it like messes up his whole plan and like kind of, you can just see him being thrown off from this well-rehearsed evening every time he looks at her. And every time she calls him out on his nonsense too, where she's like breadless plate. The breadless bread plate. Oh my God. He sends out the breadless bread plate and everyone else in the dining room is like, this is so meaningful. This is so (laughs) this and that and wonderful. And oh my gosh, it's amazing. And she's like, this is nonsense. Those were not her exact words. Yeah. I'm not allowed to say her exact words. But like she calls him out. She's like, This is a plate of nothing. It was the you know, it was the the emperor's wearing no clothes yeah. moment. And I don't know if he was doing those kind of things on purpose or if he really thought this was his greatest night of creations for his last night. I think every one of those meals was carefully prepared as a dig. Like she recognized. She's like, he's making fun of you. And Tyler's like, no, it's just he's amazing. And Uh she's like, no. Well, when it came to the tortillas, we knew he was directly attacking his guests. He had uh, laser etched photos on the uh, tortillas to call them out. Yes. And then tied into that, towards the end of the movie, Margot finds his, I guess his centerpiece of his house is employee of the month at like Good Burger or whatever when he was a teenager. Yes, where he's flipping a burger. Yeah. And then she turns that into how she gets out of it because he's Mm -hmm. already told her, I'm sorry, you're here. Like, this is it. You know, it's too bad that you got caught up in this, but this is how it's going to be. And she plays on his weirdness to make her a cheeseburger. Yes. Real food. Because he says at one point, like, she's kind of like asking him, why are you doing this? And he's like, I don't love what I do anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. these people have taken the thing that I love and destroyed it for me. I find no joy in cooking. So I might as well be done. I might as well not exist. And she uses that and basically, like, A, refuses to put him up on a pedestal like everyone else is doing, you know, refuses to idolize him in the way that he thinks is nonsense, but also is like, I don't want your fancy food. I don't want your nonsense metaphorical menu. I want a cheeseburger and not just any cheeseburger. I want a cheeseburger that makes me think I'm eating something fancy. And he does that and lets her go because basically she gave him that moment of joy again. Mm -hmm. And it's weird. Like, it's not a real interaction. It's this kind of movie metaphor thing because she's like, oh, my eyes were bigger than my stomach after one bite. And I need a to-go bag. And she gets to leave because she's going to take it to go. Well, right. To me, that felt like her very subtle way of asking him, like, okay, I did the thing. Now <laughs> I've earned my way out, right? And like yeah. that was, without saying that, it was her way of yeah. getting but him to But the whole thing's very, like, doesn't really make sense no. in the real world. But also, it's kind of playing on what's going on in his head because he's 
really messed up. Yeah. I mean, it, the whole movie, the whole story is very... There's a whole fantasy element to it. Like, yes. none of this would happen. Well, and that's something we have not mentioned, that this is a really funny movie. Hilarious. Like, there's jokes all throughout. And they're the kind of jokes, like, I want to mention Talladega Nights. Like, they're the kind of jokes where people are saying things that no real human being would ever say. Yes. And it's just funny because they're being so weird. So that puts the movie into a weird fantasy space because these aren't real people. And that kind of, I don't know, it sets you up for the whole artificialness of the whole movie, Mm -hmm. which is part of the theme of the movie. Exactly. It fits so beautifully with what the movie is trying to skewer. And because this is, as much as this is horror, it is satirical horror, yes. right? It's like Quite. the whole point of the movie is satire. The whole point of the movie is we're saying this one thing, but you are very much supposed to understand that we are making fun of the thing we look like we're yeah. putting out there as, you know, what we should believe. And there are these, not all the time, but for most of the dishes after they're explained and brought out, there's like a still shot of just the dish and text goes on the screen telling you, you know, like you'd see on a menu where it's grass fed and whatever. Uh-huh. And some of those are very funny and include <laughs> ridiculous other elements. Like the final recipe includes one restaurant. Yes. This movie is just sort of like with The Glass Onion. This movie is tailor-made for me. I like (laughs) funny, satirical, biting kinds of things that also have like a very strong, almost vicious underlying political message to them. And this definitely had that. It's a movie that's angry and expressing it through humor. Yes, The final meal, by the way, is, according to the chef, the most offensive assault on the human palate ever created. The s'more. The s'more. Which, of course, he's he's doing, he's elevating it. But the original s'more is the most offensive. He's, He's really saying before, like, the idea of taking cheap chocolate and graham crackers and marshmallow Mm -hmm. and, like, you know, imprisoning the marshmallow between cheap chocolate and graham crackers (laughs) is like, that's the offensive thing. And then he says, but it's elevated with fire. True. Yeah. Like what what makes it palatable is fire. And I'm like, oh, so what's going to make all of these terrible human (laughs) beings palatable is fire. Yeah. A lot of it. This movie was also very visually beautiful, like in that fantasy kind of way. Everything was dramatic and colorful and Mm -hmm. had flair to it. It's like, you know, all those movies that are about the food, they, you know, show it very lovingly like like an Arby's ad. They give you real (laughs) shiny food close-ups and stuff and you're like, ooh, that's delicious. And there was a lot of that. Yeah. And all the colors really popped. Mm-hmm. Everything was very in your face. Yes. Including one of the things I really enjoyed was one of the courses was that all the men were free to try to escape. And then if they get caught, we don't know. They never got Because they run off before he explains. They ran. Because they're dumb. <laughs> but what was fun was they're all, we see them getting caught individually and then one of them's hiding out somewhere and the little window next to him pops open and a hand comes in with like some kind of little dessert it was a play on the passard egg i don't know what that means 
But yeah. Very was, fancy. And also quite ironic because that guy was hiding in the chicken coop. Yes. And this was a special bite for the last guest to be captured. Yes. Which I really liked. I don't know why, but that's really good. Yeah. That was one of my favorite moments. And that that guy hiding in the chicken coop, the window opens, the egg is presented to him, and he takes the egg and starts eating it. <laughs> well, I mean, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Another one of my favorite things about it was at the end, they all know what's going on. They have all, you know, had their dramatic reactions to the idea that they're going to die. The fake Coast Guard has come in. They have (laughs) thought they were going to be rescued only to find out that no, they, in fact, they are not. All of these things have happened. And he's like, all right, before our final course, before the assault on the senses that is the s'more. There's just the matter of the bill. And they pay it. They know they're going to die. And they're all pulling out their credit cards and like yeah. handing over their $1,200 for the I privilege mean... of what they have just experienced and what they are about to experience. Part of what's going on that's kind of interesting is we go into the movie feeling like the menu is literally the menu, this food. But as the movie plays out, you realize that all the events of the evening and all the people present, they're all a part of the menu. It's basically the plan, really. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because each course of the meal is presented as, you know, an artistic, well-crafted piece, but there's also each course of the event, which just as much thought and detail and planning went into. And it's it's like a layer to the whole thing that this is... So many layers. It's all the menu. Yes. It's a it's a performance art piece. Okay, so while the men, during the men's folly course, where the men are all off trying That's to get there, trying to escape... The women all go back into the restaurant and they're with one of the sous chefs who is a woman and they're, you know, having their little conversation about whatever they were talking about. And they're all trying to play up to her to try Mm -hmm. to be like, okay, can we turn her so that we can get out of this? And she's like, I forget what piece it was. It was the dying at the end part. Like, yeah, they're trying to get away. They're trying to get her to let them go. And she's like, oh no, the dying at the end part was my idea. (laughs) Like that was my contribution to this menu. None of this menu doesn't work unless this happens at (laughs) the end. That's the finale to the meal. It was just, (laughs) It's the artistic nature of this whole menu put together. It's amazing. I have very few notes on this movie, but one of them was like halfway through. I'm like, this movie really feels a lot like Squid Game, interestingly Mm -hmm. enough. And it's the same thing where it's an entire production that has been put together carefully to Mm -hmm. make a point and to happen to someone, Yeah, which again is a subgenre of movie that I really, really like. Like last year we watched one called Cadaver. That was, was it Swedish? Norwegian. Norwegian. That also had that element of, you know, people knew they were going to something. Like, I love when, like, in Squid Games, they know they're signing up for a game. Or when people know they're going to a meal. They're like, we have chosen to participate in something. And then that something, what has been orchestrated for them, is not what they expected. I love that. Yeah, that's fun. It reminds me, too, of the one we did earlier this year called No Escape, mm-hmm. where they knew they were going into an escape room, but it wasn't what they... It didn't turn out to be what they thought it was. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. Yep. Ratings. 
I feel like my entire review has made it pretty obvious that I loved this movie. Oh. Um, I did. I, I, I really don't have any complaints about this movie. And that might be that I'm not trying hard enough, but I had no interest in trying to complain about this movie. <laughs> it was delightful. It was unexpected. It was vindicating in some kind of like deep, I'm angry at the world kind of way. And maybe that's why I like this kind of movie because it's, there's like a cathartic, I can't go blow up a private island full of rich <laughs> beanbags. But I can watch movies about it happening, and that can make me like feel a little better. Right. That's I don't know. Explosion by proxy, they call that. <laughs> Is that what that's called? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to give this movie five palate-cleansing teas and a plus that is just a hint of bergamot. So... This is a five plus. This is a five plus for wow. me. This is a movie that I That's the fully, top of the charts. Yes, fully intend to watch again. I will tell people to watch it. I very much enjoyed it. Okay. I feel similarly. I'm debating the plus. Not a fan of Bergamot. I'm not a well, I actually have no idea. I have no idea what it is either. <laughs> But I want to say I'm but not Tyler a fan of it. Tasted it. He tasted in that the tea. bergamot for sure. <laughs> I mean, I don't like tea is the thing, so bergamot's probably a problem for me. So I'm going to give this five palate cleansing teas plus a cheeseburger. <laughs> not the crinkle cut fries. Uh no, a cheeseburger's better. It okay. looked really good. It did look really good. Which is kind of the point. Yeah. That's delightful. I think I think that is it is well deserved. I hope that people other people watch this movie because I very much want them to make more movies like this. Yeah, it's fun. Part of that vindicating feeling when you see a movie like this is also, you know, I'm not crazy. Enough people think this way and feel this way that they spent millions of dollars putting out a movie and the execs were like, this is a movie that's going to make money mm-hmm. from millions of viewers. This is going to resonate with the people. Right. So it's like, hey, I fit in. Yeah. 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 I'm not alone in this. That's a nice feeling. Which kind of brings me to this week's... Fight the horror of a world gone mad. Ha! Political tip. <laughs> My hot political tip is watch this movie. Oh, that's a good one. I can do that. And when you when you watch this movie, take from it the idea that you should be a giver, not a taker. Yes. That you should maybe not go so far as to blow people up. Maybe. Can't I, our lawyers won't let us condone murder. No, our entire team of lawyers met on this issue and said <laughs> and no. And said no. But perhaps consider how you can contribute in a less murderous way to the revolution that needs to come. And mm-hmm. I mean, I realize calling for a revolution is... <laughs> on January 6th. Ooh, That's when we're recording this. This is January 6th. Well, the house... The U.S. House is completely shut down because of beanbags who think they're more important yeah, than everyone half else. Half of which were present on January 6th, mm. insurrecting on our government. Mm. Anyway, yeah. So, like, calling for a revolution. I do understand the, like, undertones of what that sounds like. 
It reminds me of one of my favorite lines from Life, the Universe, and Everything by Douglas Adams, where it talks about how the uh, publishers of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy would be the first against the wall when the revolution comes. And so to sum it up, my hot political tip is don't be the kind of person who will end up first (laughs) against the wall when the revolution comes. Yeah. That's that. Just be likable. Just like tip people 20%. Be respectful, hold doors for other people, and maybe don't act like the world revolves around you all the time. Well, here's the thing I think about that. They say don't punch down. Yes. Implying you should punch up. Great. But don't punch down is like a a lesser commandment. A greater thing would be reach down, Mm. help below you. Yes. Not only should you not be like... Punching the people below you? Yes. Maybe be helping them join you. Excellent. Make another seat at the table. Exactly. Which really, it involves those of us who are higher than other people, not in any kind of real sense, but in the whole like cultural, you know, political status quo sense. We have to be willing, wherever we are in the food chain of life, to welcome other people to join us at our level instead of being territorial and protective about and it. And that means giving up some of yes. what we have to them that's below. Yes. So, huzzah! Bring on the revolution! Socialism! Viva la revolution! Bueno! <laughs> Adios, amigos! See you next week. Don't forget to call your elected representatives. Forget which book it is. I, mm, I'm gonna go look real quick. She's gonna look real quick, and it's gonna take 20 minutes for her to be real quick. Oh my gosh, she's still looking even now, and it's been 10 minutes already. <gasps> That's her finger. Nobody wants to see that. She's looking in a book. She's looking. She's flipping. She's on another page. She's flipping back to a previous page. I'm narrating your life.